So we're here today with our bike education program, and today we have a panel that was put together by Ted Rogers, who's the author of the Biking in L.A. blog. Hi, Ted. Hey, how you doing today? Great. And uh, I want to hear who you got here for us today. Well, let's, why don't we just introduce everybody? Um, actually, I'm going to have everybody introduce themselves, because you guys know more about who you are and what you do than I do. Um, Julia, why don't you tell us um, what your background is? Sure. Um, my name is Julia, and I am the Program and Marketing Coordinator at Cycle, um, where I school nonprofit. We do education and advocacy. So what I work with, um, we sort of have a three-pronged um, approach to bicycle education. Um, we use workshops and classes um, for a nominal fee and free classes to, to teach safety tips and commuting for cyclists in L.A. Um, we also utilize encouragement, and through that we do group rides so people can insert what they're learning from those classes and those workshops in a safe space and a critical mass. Um, and then advocacy as well. So through um, social media, we have newsletters. Um, we're trying to connect all of these new bicyclists, seasoned bicyclists, to contribute to making the roads safer um, beyond just riding on them. Very good. Uh, Colin, how about you? Uh, yeah, my name is Colin Bogart. I'm the education director for the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. Um, and currently, uh, we're offering a series of bicycle safety classes uh, through a contract uh, that we have with Metro. And we're doing these classes uh, all over L.A. County. Um, there's actually two versions, a short version and a long version. And the long version is for West L.A. County. They're all for adult cyclists. Um, I've also organized several uh, training seminars to train people to become league cycling instructors with the League of American Bicyclists. So far, we've done about three of those in the last year and a half or so. Uh, and we've also uh, more recently produced a number of educational materials, including uh, a Rules of the Road pocket guide for bicyclists, as well as um, a, our program Operation Firefly, which seeks to provide bike lights to people who don't have them at night, but also give them safety information and, and the rules of the road for riding at night. That's a quick summary of what we've been up to. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jim? Yes, thank you. Uh, this is Jim Shanman. Uh, my organization is called Walk and Rollers. We encourage children to bike and walk to school more frequently, and we do that by working with schools to develop bike walk to school programs, hosting kids' bike skills workshops, and doing what we call Walk and Roll Festivals, which is a, 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 an event that's got about eight stations at it. We take the kids through each station, make sure it's, uh, they understand the rules of the road and safety precautions, as well as group rides. Um, in addition to that, we also uh, work on leading group rides for the community to help encourage people to ride uh, more often. In fact, we worked on one with Cycle not too long ago. And as a licensed uh, cycling instructor, um, I also work with adults and teaching some bike education throughout L.A. County. Great. Tana. Hi. Um, yes, I am, I guess you could call me the dinosaur in the room. Uh, I've been <laughs> at this for about, 20, well, 26 years doing bicycle education, all the way from uh, working at the Olympic Training Center as a coach, to 
taking teams around, and then I started the bicycle program, first bicycle program for middle school down in San Diego, then came up to LA Unified and provided bicycle education for hmm, about 18 years there, retired, started a nonprofit, and then for my nonprofit, Youth Educational Sports, so I provide bicycle education um, for K through 12. I do high schools, which is pretty much lots of fun. So I do the whole gamut of ages as well. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, sure. Now, a couple of you have mentioned that uh, your focus is on children. And, Tana, you were just saying that uh, uh, you taught bicycle education in the schools. Uh, why do we need bicycle education for children? I mean, aren't they getting this education in the schools these days? No. They don't. They don't get bicycle education as well as pedestrian education. And the younger grades, that that comes hand in hand. Bicycle education, pedestrian education is very similar. Um, It wasn't until really the Safe Routes to School funds that has been around for, what, about four or five years. Jim can pipe in on that. Uh, It has actually brought money with a very definite effort to try and get parents involved with doing bicycle education in the schools. Up to then, there was just a few handful of us that would go around and do bicycle and ped, but we didn't have that component in the beginning where we would get the parents involved to get walking programs and our walking school buses. That's something that, um, thank goodness, was spearheaded and... Um, funding was allowed to provide that component. So there's incentives, more incentives for kids to do it and for parents to do it. We only had the educational component before just to try and hopefully it would filter down to the parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, why does it matter? Why does it matter? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, it matters because uh, getting kids to walk and bike um, has a whole bunch of positive components to it. Uh, first of all, it's more activity for the children, and especially in the morning. Uh, it helps them arrive at school on time, but also ready to hit the desks and, and books and, and be ready to start learning. Um, they've gotten their socialization out of the way. They've, they're, they've gotten their uh, their blood moving. Um, just that, more, that morning activity really seems to benefit the children in all kinds of ways. Um, but also, it, it creates a community awareness. When they're walk, biking and walking to school, they're seeing their, their community around them. They're not locked in a car. Uh, they're hanging out with their friends, and they're noticing things in ways that they wouldn't notice otherwise. Um, and then most importantly is it builds a foundation for the future. Uh, we encourage kids to be active when they're younger. Studies are showing that the younger, the more active they are when they're younger, the more likely they are to be active when they're older. In fact, the more active the kids are, um, the more likely they are to go on to college. And it just has all kinds of long-term repercussions. So getting the kids active just from a simple bike and walk program is really beneficial in so many ways. Okay, I want you to back up a little bit. You said that the more active a child is, the more likely he is to go to college. Essentially, you, that's can true. Can you explain a little more about that? I, I've never heard that before. You're going to ask me to quote a study? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. Uh, no, actually, yeah, it falls back on the same. You know, it, 
basically follows a path. When they're active as youth, they become active as older or as young adults, and then that carries them on into being better students, and that makes they're just more likely to go to college. Uh, I'm not even sure if they know the exact reasons why. Just that's the way the numbers are falling out. So encouraging children to be more active, um, perhaps it take, helps them take a better interest in school and their surroundings. Uh, maybe they care for the environment a little bit more. Maybe they're a little bit more involved in things. But they seem to go hand in hand. Um, you know, active kids, better grades, on to college. So you're saying yeah. bicycling makes you smarter? You could put it that way. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> argue with that. <laughs> Plus, they did a study, and they actually had a controlled unit down in Texas where they took a, a school that had very low performance and um, poor graduating you know, passing from one grade to the other, and they did a study where they had active activity as walking to and from school, that the oxygen level that was able to be put into the brain before school, if you have act activity before you go do education, they were more aware, they listened to the lessons better, they were more tuned in what was going on if they got that activity before they went to school. And also, because of physical activity, they'd be less likely to act out, so they paid attention more. Interesting. And I could but, probably quote the study if you really want me to know. Um, <laughs> well, just even anecdotally, at the schools that I work with, uh, the parents and the teachers both rave. That the children get to school, and they are literally ready to learn. They're, they really are. They're, they're more focused. They're, they're more participatory. Um, and a lot of it is just getting that socialization out of their way. You know, they instead of getting to school and having to yak with their friends and act up a little bit and, you know, find out who was watching what or playing what video game the night before, they're doing that on the way to school. So they've gotten that out of their system. Maybe not all of it, but certainly enough where the teacher doesn't have to spend 10 or 15 minutes just settling the class down a little bit. I would guess they also burned off some of that sugar from breakfast. <laughs> no question. Yeah. That definitely helps. Well, that's where the activity comes in. And, of course, that helps lower obesity and uh, fighting all kinds of other chronic illnesses down the road. Okay, but we all know um, that there are so many parents out there that are going to say, well, it's too dangerous for my <laughs> child to ride a bike to school. I, there's even been cases here in the U.S. and in England, I'm aware of, where parents have been threatened with uh, having their children taken away because they've let them ride a bicycle to school. How would you respond to that? Uh, Julia, Do you? Uh, what would you say to that? Um, in terms of children biking to school, um, we don't work so much with getting kids on bike. I think Jim does really great work around that. But just offhand, I would think that biking to school, in terms of safety, it's um, kids are usually going to school that's close by. Um, so it's not a very far distance. I would assume it's usually pretty residential. Um, and you also have eyes on the street, so there's a lot of people around um, seeing what's going on with the kids, making sure things are okay. Um, I don't know if someone else could speak more to that. It's it's a touchy subject for sure. Uh, I mean, the numbers don't bear out the reality of it. And, you know, parents are more concerned for all kinds of reasons, but, you know, the, and you you can quote studies and you can quote numbers and show that the trend is going down and so few children actually are abducted throughout the course of the year. Um, but, you know, a parent doesn't want to hear that because if theirs is the one in the million, all those studies don't really mean anything to them. So what we try to encourage them is really to put it into their own words. If they, if they express a concern, we'll bring out, say, you know, what, what concerns specifically do you have? And if they say, 
know, it's, it's just not safe out there. And you can say, really? Is it really not that safe? Have you seen things happening? And, you know, you start to get them to understand that they're dealing with a fear that they've developed rather than one they've actually seen. You know, their perception is higher than reality. And hopefully they come around a little bit. You know, we try to work in the elementary school level, building confidence, teaching great skills. So hopefully when they get to middle school, the parents have, have gotten over that hump and they're more likely to let their children bike or walk to school on their own. I think also education, the, re- why, the reason that education is important in terms of bike education is that, you know, if you have a parent who's saying that it's not safe for their kid to ride a bike to school, th- that's a really a good argument for, well, that's why you should let your kids be educated how to ride safely because, you know, part, part of mitigating that risk is knowing how to do it safely and knowing what the risks are involved. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of factors that come into play as well in terms of, you know, having kids riding to school uh, who are younger and and dealing with traffic. And, that you know, it's not to say that, you know, you should send very young children out on their own. They should be supervised. But I think that's a good argument for the education side of it because, you know, you you want the, the – the goal is to have these children grow up to be independent people who can ride a bike and deal with traffic and, and situations they might encounter on the road and do it do it safely and, and understand what the risks are. And so that that's another argument, really. I, I think it's an excellent point. I mean, we tend to – once the kids turn 16 or 18, we put them behind the wheel of a car, and the risk of injury and the risk of um, – crashes are just so much greater being in a car than they are on a bike, but yet we don't have a problem doing that. So the earlier we can get those basic lessons from the parent and the child working together, the more likely they are to get over that hump a little bit earlier on. Okay, well, yes, but, you know, just about everybody, or all of us uh, here probably, have uh, learned to ride a bike uh, when our dad or mom took us out onto the street in front of the house and put us on a bike with training wheels and said, you know, start riding, uh, and then eventually they took the training wheels off. We could ride a bike. What else do you need to learn? I mean, what <laughs> are you teaching these kids that, you know, we didn't just learn learning to balance on the bike and ride down the street? Well, a lot of it, I'd say, is is knowing what the risks are when they when they go to ride and where those risks lie and how to deal with it. And it's things like, you know, if you're really young and you're riding on the sidewalk, it's things like knowing that you need to look out for cars coming out of driveways, for example, or trying to enter in driveways. Uh, it's things like, you know, teaching children uh, when they get to the corner, they don't just ride out into the street, that they, they need to stop. And if it's a crosswalk, that probably, depending on the age of the child, they should probably get off the bike and cross like a pedestrian and then teaching them how to deal with that situation safely. Um, my understanding, I don't have the stats in front of me, but... Um, children riding out into the street actually without stopping first is is one of the leading causes of collisions between uh, child you know children on bicycles and and motor vehicles. So these are some of the things that you know safety education would include. It would also include just basic you know depending on the age. It also includes a lot of basic bike handling skills, just to make sure that 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 the child uh, knows how to handle their bike. Because the other thing about crashes on a bicycle is that, you know, not collisions, we're talking about crashes, um, a lot of times those are just losing control of your bike. And that's a big part of bike safety education as well, is, is knowing how to control your bike and and avoiding a situation where you would get hurt because you either didn't deal with a hazard well, or it could even just be as simple as <laughs> losing control, losing your balance, or having a mechanical failure. There's, there's all kinds of things. 
Yeah, it's it's funny, Ted, that you put it in the perspective that you did, because you know, like a lot of a lot of us, that's exactly what happened. I, I can remember my father doing that with taking the training wheels off, you know, having fun down the street. There was really no other lessons except for maybe a little obstacle course at the police station or something along those lines where we had to go around some cones. And I was marveling when I was uh, biking with my daughter just yesterday, and she slowed down at every driveway, stopped at every alleyway. She looked both ways over her shoulder. And, of course, I'm, I'm working with her and have been for years, but I never did that when I was a child. And so you can see how important that is to get that education out at an early age because – Learning it then makes them better pedestrians. It makes them better drivers later on. It makes them better community members being able to handle the streets in a way that's safer for everybody. Good point. I remember reading a study that said that uh, bicyclists are the safest drivers on the road. <laughs> um, okay, let's go forward a little bit. Let's talk about teenagers. Uh, right now, there's a huge boom in bicycling uh, among Teenage riders, especially in the um, you know, with fixie bikes, but um, you know, really with any kind of bike, uh, it's more popular now than any time I've ever seen. But we hear the complaints all the time from drivers that uh, these kids don't stop for stop signs, uh, they don't observe right of way. Um, how would you respond to that, and what would you do about it? This is um, Tana. I was amazed. I got a phone call one day from Canoga High School, and it was the students, not the teachers, not the parents, saw my website, contacted me because one of their members had gotten hit, and they wanted me to come in and talk to them about, you know, bike safety, bike education, how to be safe on the road. This was teenagers putting forth that idea that that education they realized was needed in their own world. Um, understand, I used to run in Sino Velodrome. I'm I'm a fixie lover, you know. I was a track racer. So, you know, I can identify with these kids on the fixie bikes. And at the end of the presentation, the rest of the kids actually gave up the kid who got crashed. Mm. And, you know, we talked about, you know, all the safety rules, the laws, you know, these things that they had not gotten because they didn't take a driver's ed class and some of them hopefully maybe not, and they'll just keep riding the bus forever. And they, this is the turning point. That, that team culture, that culture is one we've really got to capture, keep it going. When, you know, they, sure the fixie bike may phase out and something else may phase in, but this is a wonderful group of youth that you know, have this team, this culture with, that they're developing, and we need to give them the tools for them to be safe and approach correctly. They want it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right there, Tana. I mean, reaching out to these kids, and, it, you know, it's a shame that it usually happens after an incident, but that's what captures people's attention. And, you know, especially with middle school, they're, they, they feel like they're just, impervious to, to crashes and accidents and they're just, they, it's just not they're supermen yeah. they're just not going to get hurt in any way shape or form so you know wh when there is a, a crash and you can point out especially when there's one that's completely the fault of the cyclists like there was one in glendale not too long ago where there was a 13 year old youth riding on the sidewalk no helmet um not stopping at stop signs ran right through an intersection and was hit by a bus and, and died and it's really unfortunate because in that area, there actually were bike lanes. There's four-way stop. There was a traffic circle. 
it was an, an incredibly safe area and with just a little bit of education, if he just did, didn't do one of those things, he would have probably survived the whole incident. So you know, getting the, using incidents like that to just point out that you're not unbreakable and things can happen, um, they can be tragic. I think those are great case studies and I think middle schoolers are ready to hear that and are able to handle it. I think the other thing we have to remember is that when we're talking about middle school kids, I mean, the, the kids who are middle schoolers now, you know, didn't really get any kind of safety training or safety education, sadly. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about teaching young children, younger children, and that's why it's considered so important is that ideally we're creating a situation where all younger children, as they go through, you know, growing up and going to school, that they're going to get this information so they already know this stuff by the time they're in middle school. I think there's a lot of kids riding around, a lot of those fixie kids riding around who've just never had anybody tell them any of this stuff. And for that matter, I, I don't think it's just limited to middle school kids. There's plenty of adults riding around in the same situation. I mean, I just stopped at an intersection on my way into work this morning. Uh, you know, the guy came up to, uh, came up next to me in the bike lane and he's got two headphones on and I handed him a bike safe pocket guide and said, dude, you're going to get a ticket if you keep riding around with your headphones like that. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. I said, it's, it, the cops are looking for reasons to, to give tickets. And so you're only supposed to have one. He goes, oh, I didn't know that. And I, you know, I bump into people all the time who just don't know this information because it's not being, it's not being offered. And they just sort of know whatever they learned. Uh, you know, in terms of the riding habits from, you know, their peers and their friends and what they do. Well, is this something that should be taught in schools then? I mean, rather than just one special event where uh, one school says, hey, we had a kid that just got hit by a car, come teach us how to ride safely, uh, should every school have a bike education curriculum? Yes. 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 <laughs> I was going to say one, two, three, <laughs> all, all together now. Yeah. I'm not sure anybody in this on this panel would disagree with that. Um, you know, you can be done through the PE classes, so it's not taking away from class times. It's activity oriented. There's really no reason not to. And you know, when I when I started doing this, I was surprised how few people were doing this type of activity, and that just encouraged me to get more involved because it's obviously needed out there. So if we can get programs into the schools, you know, we I think we can make a real difference in the in the communities. And my mantra is. Bicycling is the only sport that does not offer a safe venue to learn. And bicycling should become a recognized sport in the PE department, element, um, middle school and high school, so that that is taught eventually through the PE department. It, then it would have the funding. It would be institutionalized. You know, you can, in, in third world countries, how they teach kids to ride, they ride on the, on the grass. They, you know, set up a track. They ride on the grass. They do all the skills. We have the venue. It's called a, it's called a school. School's a perfect venue. And there's a whole movement right now to try and make it feasible for the PE teachers to take on bicycling as a sport, not just a recreational activity, to try and keep it going in the schools. So that is the future. And can you imagine it one day you... Going to the high school, the lights are on, and what's going on? It's a bicycle race using the running track. You know, there's no reason why it can't be as big as football in the high school level. Well, I do remember when I was a kid in a, you know, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I got (laughs) bicycle education every year in elementary school. Where did you you grow up? uh, I grew up in Colorado. No (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, that was back in the 60s um, when I was in elementary school. But it seems to have gone away, but we had it once. Um, it, it's very strange that something like that that seems so important and so beneficial would have uh, been taken out of the schools once it was already there. Yeah, you bring up, you, you know, combining that with the thought Tana mentioned earlier about capturing uh, the fixie crowd and, and embracing them a little bit. You know, most of us that are on this panel, we, we say this often, you know, 30 years ago, we biked and walked to school on a regular basis. What happened? What happened? And I'm thinking, you know, if we don't capture these high school kids and encourage them and enthusiastic, give them enthusiastic, what's going to happen in 30 years from now? They're going to look back and say, 30 years ago, my mom drove me everywhere. Who needs a bike? And that is that really what we want them saying or feeling or doing? So it, you're right, Ted. It, it was out there, at least on an encouragement level, if not on education level. Um, we're missing out on an opportunity if we don't try to capture the, the older kids right now who are going to be our leaders in the next 15 years or so. And we want them picking up this charge and, and leading it and keeping it in the schools and making it available in all the communities. Yeah, Ted, you're right. I mean, they, they used to, a lot of schools used to do this. A lot of them used to be part of their curriculum. And I've talked to people who grew up in Glendale, for example, who said, "Oh yeah, we used to, you know, get safety training at school, and then we got a sticker on our bike, and and you you're only allowed to ride your bike to school if you had that sticker." And uh, you know, oddly enough, we didn't have that when I was growing up, but I do remember we had driver's ed, uh, which apparently is now also gone. Um, so bringing it back, I mean, Tana, Jim, and I actually just attended the Safe Routes to School conference up in Sacramento last week, and, and we listened to people who were doing bike safety training from different parts of the country, and quite a few of them had models where essentially they were going around training PE teachers how to teach the curriculum, and then once they went through the training, they would provide them with a trailer full of bikes and gear that would rotate around the school district, and the kids would get like a week's worth of training um, and that's we need to we need to go that direction. I think absolutely. I mean, Florida has been doing this for twenty years, and the yeah. Department of Transportation has been fully funding it. And you just look at that model, and you think, wow, twenty years ago, an entire state got their act together and and moved it forward. I mean, I know there's amazing cities out there, you know, Portland and and Boulder and whatnot, but the entire state made that choice twenty years ago, and you know, they're really setting a standard for the rest of us to follow at this point. Julia, what about cycle? Do you guys uh, teach teenagers? Um, I think we really aim for our rides are always very family friendly. Um, we have small children who come on our rides, and we have folks in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, in terms of our classes, we really aim for adults who have never learned to ride. So we're really capturing um a person who either never had that chance or the space in front of their house to get pushed down the street um, without their um, training wheels. And we really want to try to capture a whole new audience of, of bicyclists to expand the bicycling community. That's great. Okay, let, let's move on to adults. And I'm going to tell you my pet peeve. And... I'll tell you right now that peas make really lousy pets, so I wouldn't recommend getting one. Um, but I, one of the things that I've always noticed is that it's very easy to buy a high-end bike and to learn to ride really fast uh, very, very soon. It doesn't take you long to pick up that skill. I and mean, You can be out riding with the Peloton down PCH uh, within a couple of weeks. But 
it takes a lot longer to learn how to ride smart and to learn how to ride safely. Uh, I'm constantly passed uh, by bicyclists who are going faster than I am, even though I ride pretty fast. Uh, and then they do stupid things. They position themselves in the wrong place on the road. Uh, they put themselves at the risk of a right hook. Uh, they go through uh, stop signs or red lights when there's um, traffic coming the other direction. Uh, they don't observe right-of-way rules. What can you do to help someone like that, uh, especially when you, you know, when you talk to these people, they think they already know what to do. Uh, how can you help them? That's 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 the six million dollar question, right? Um, I mean, you put the information out there is one way, and and just kind of hope for the best. I suppose um, some of these guys, uh, some of these folks are part of clubs. You try to appeal to the clubs in terms of, you know, providing them with the information. Um, I would imagine in some instances, some of them uh, will get a ticket and they'll learn a little bit from that. Um, it, it can, you know, kind of falls in the same category in my mind as, as your teenagers you know, who are just sort of learning what they learn from just going out and riding around and what they see other people doing. I think the same thing happens with adult cyclists who get into bicycling. Um, they just sort of pick up, you know, what they see other people doing and they, they just maybe don't even know any different. Um, so I think it's a matter of putting the information out there, offering the information, trying to do more classes. I mean, we're doing, we're doing these adult cycling, uh, classes, um, through Metro and they're, they're offered free to the public. Um, and it includes classroom instruction as well as, um, bike handling skills drills as, and also on the road riding. And, um, you know, it's pretty much open to anybody who wants to take it. And, you know, we're doing everything we can to promote those, uh, classes. And, you know, some of the people who are signing up for those classes are, are sort of beginners. Some of them are intermediate. But there's definitely been people who have been signing up for those classes who, who've done a lot more riding. And, uh, they're interested in, in finding, finding out what this is all about and, and learning more about, you know, what, what, what's typically known as vehicular cycling. And, 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 you know, which is essentially following the rules of the road and riding like you're, like you would drive a vehicle. Having taught a number of those classes, I think um, it's been about 50-50 on experience versus not so experienced. Well, what could you teach me? Uh, I've been riding for 32 years of, as an adult. Um, I probably got, I think I figured out the other day that a very conservative estimate is I put in 160,000 miles on the road over those years. Um, I would tend to think that I know what I'm doing. Is there something that you could teach me that I may not know? How's your quick turn? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, quick turn? Yeah, yeah how's, how's your quick, quick turn? turn? Okay, tell me about a quick turn. What's a quick turn? Quick turn is an emergency maneuver that you learn in the uh, League of American Bicyclists Traffic Skills 101 class. And mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a, a method of turning your bike very quickly to the right. Uh, it's the, the intention of it is that you're riding down the street and somebody right hooks you or left crosses you turns right in front of you or turns left right in front of you and you simply don't have time to stop 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only thing you can try to do is to quickly turn the bike to try to avoid running into them. Or at least if you quickly turn the bike, you may still run into them, but at least you won't hit them straight on. And basically the technique involves leaning your bike the opposite direction of the turn first so that you actually start to fall to your right and then you quickly turn the wheel to the right to essentially catch yourself and then make that turn. And once you learn how to do that and master it, you, you can you can turn your bike to the right really surprisingly quick. Um, and it's, it's considered a, a measure of last resort. Um, and it doesn't guarantee that you won't hit the vehicle turning in front of you. But again, the idea is that you would potentially hit it at an angle that's not straight on. And so the damage is potentially going to be much less. So, you know, unless you know how to do one of those, uh, that would be something you could learn. Well, I um, actually did something very similar to that uh, last Friday when I was riding on the bike path and someone made a left turn directly in front of me uh, very quick. I, I went to had to go to the left, but um, very quick reaction caused me to hit him on the side rather than head on. So mm-hmm. that is a valuable skill. That sounds very similar. The other thing I would say is that you know, is in terms of an experienced cyclist coming into one of these classes, it's really hard to say up front what they might learn from it. Um, you know, when you're talking about a class that's you know, the longer class is like eight hours long, and you're covering all these all this information in the classroom, and then you're going out on the going out into like a parking lot or a basketball court or something and showing them these drills like the like the quick turn and then you're actually taking them out on the road and and effect essentially applying these things you know out on the street there's usually you know the more experienced cyclists i'd say there's probably a lot they already know and there's sort of little nuggets here and there that they pick up along the way through one of those classes you know maybe they don't have as many light bulbs going off as as some of the, like the newer people who have a little less experience riding the street and then you know sometimes in these classes or when you give this information to people there are things that people learn that are just totally and completely incorrect and once you explain to them why it's not correct they suddenly go, oh, I see. And an example I would give to you is I've talked to people who who say, oh, well, I was taught to ride down the street against traffic because that's that way I can see what the drivers are doing and that's safe for me. Very common in uh, riders from Central America that are taught to do that. Exactly. Um, and it's and it's also common here in the U.S. depending on how old you are. And, yeah. well, you know, they're older. That when she was a child. Yeah. And so basically, I mean, I had some people say that to me in a class and I said, well, here's the problem with that is that maybe you can see what they're doing. But in a lot of situations, they're not actually looking. They're not going to see you or they're not going to look where you're at because they don't expect you to be there. And the classic example is you're riding down the left side of the street and someone comes up from a side street and they're getting ready to turn right. They're looking to their left for traffic coming from the left. They're not even looking at you and they're very likely to just pull out right in front of you. Or, depending on the timing, might just pull out just as you pass in front of them. Um, and that's that's actually a pretty common crash type. Um, and so once you explain it to somebody that, you know, that's, you know, this is why that doesn't work. And also acknowledge that, you know, most people, a lot of people will ride against traffic because they're simply afraid of getting hit from behind, which is an understandable fear. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, when you first start riding, I know when I first got back into biking on the road and riding mainly for fun at first, that was something I had to get used to. And I, But I was fortunate I rode with a group of people who were very supportive and gave me some tips and, and you know, just sort of, you had to sort of get used to it. 
Um, and most people do. But it's, so that fear is understandable, and you, you can figure out, you can see why they would do what they do, and it's just a matter of just explaining to them why that's probably not the best way to go. Right, and you know, and another thing, <clears throat> Colin had mentioned the fear of people coming up from behind you. One of my favorite segments in teaching the class is on crash data, and expl- you know, you help people get over that fear. And by the time you're done, they come to realize that very few of the incidents are actually a motorist fault, and being hit from behind is so uncommon; it's not even listed on the crash data statistics. So when, once they start to realize the actual numbers of what's out there, um, their confidence goes up, and even for an experienced rider. Hearing that information firsthand is really beneficial. And even if you know how to make a good left turn in traffic or change lanes, knowing the proper way to do it, just working on those nuances and working on those skills, all that builds confidence and allows you to be more um, more able to uh, be an ambassador while you're out there and help others that haven't learned or, you know, working with your girlfriend, as you mentioned, Ted, and, 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 and moving forward from there. You know, one of the things that I see a lot um, – when I'm riding, I'll position myself at an intersection. You know, I come up to a red light, and I'll position myself to the left of the right turn lane so that um, cars can go ahead and make the right turn. I'm not blocking them, but also when the light changes, I'm not at risk of a right hook. And yet I see lots of riders, including some who look like they should know better, uh, who stop at the curb, and they'll rest a foot on the curb and wait right there to the right of the right turn lane. What would you say about that? After I'm done cussing him out for being foolish? Uh, no, kidding about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, would, you talk, would you talk to them uh, at that moment? I mean, I, I'm always tempted to say something, and yet the reaction I've gotten from some fighters in the past has convinced me to just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> It's always a touchy thing, you know, coming up on a rider like that and trying to explain because, you know, it's like talking to a police officer. They think they're right. They've been doing this a long time. They're very confident. So definitely be, you know, careful on how you would approach that. But those are the types of things you would learn in the class, even for an experienced rider. You learn why not to do that and and how to do it better. And once you you point out things like even what you just pointed out, Ted, um, you know, staying out of the way of the right turn uh, motorist, not being right hooked from somebody in the other lane. Those are all good common sense reasons not to do that, and sometimes riders just aren't av- aware of those situations at all. Mm-hmm. So, Julia, would your classes address things like that as well for adult riders, or what? what is it that you teach? Yeah, so our classes, um, we really want to make them as accessible to the public as possible. So we have short classes. They're about two hours. Um, there's some other great classes that, you know, our classes are, are based on the tenets of the League of American Bicyclists, but we're going to focus on the fundamentals. Uh-huh. Um, I know there's some eight-hour classes out there that are great as well, um, but ours, we're really aiming for the easy, fun, accessible um, access point for people and not quite overwhelming them with too much information. Um, but for the beginner, what's the essential points? So what we do is we have a sit-down session with a PowerPoint with some really great images and visuals and scenarios, and we'll, we have it drawn out, um, you know, where to position yourself in, you know, 10 different situations, including right turns, left turns, um, four-way stops, two-way stops, whatever it is. And so we want to really get a clear image of, where you can position yourself safely, and then after that, we'll go out on the streets together um, and do a variety of different 
turns and, and whatnot so we can really show people what it looks like and what it feels like and they can implement what they just learned. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to go through the uh, the intensive training of some of the other classes, you just give them like an overview that just get them started on bike safety? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's an overview, but it's also for the new rider, um, what's going to be the most pertinent to them and the most important and make sure that it's that it's digestible as well. Okay. Um, so we're all talking about uh, bicycle education. Obviously, you're all involved in this. Why, why does there seem to be so much focus on education right now? And why is this a topic that seems to be coming up more and more these days? Uh, I, uh, this is Colin. I think it's um, I think it's a function of not that we've arrived and we're the we're the <laughs> bike riding nation that others should look towards as an example. But I think Someday. there's been so there's been there's you know there's been a lot of advocacy for bike infrastructure and to get more people riding and and things are improving and there are more people riding. And I think it's just sort of the natural progression that now that we're seeing more people out riding um, and we're seeing more money being invested in bicycle infrastructure, um, I think we're also seeing uh, a lot more people riding badly. And and so it's it's consciously or subconsciously, it's, I think, on more and more people's minds. I hear a lot more people talking about education now than ever before for, for bicyclists. And I, I would qualify that by saying in certain in certain instances they're correct because they're citing behaviors that truly are incorrect. In other instances, you know, it's it might be somebody uh, who doesn't ride a bike who tells me all the things that the bicyclist they saw doing this morning as they were on their way to work that was wrong and in fact was actually right. So um, that's a whole other topic is just the misinformation that's out there or lack of information for, for the driving public especially. And so I, I think it's just kind of the natural progression of things as we're seeing more and more people ride um, and we're starting to see some bad behavior, not that not that bicyclists have the uh, sole exclusive monopoly on that because they don't. Um, so I, I think it's just sort of become a topic of interest. And, and also I think it's because there is such this, this gap. I mean, you know, the fact that we don't teach kids this as a matter of regular routine, you know, starting in grade school and continuing on through middle school and high school is, is a missed opportunity and we need to go back to it. Yeah, I, I think we're really playing catch up. I think you could ask that question, Ted, as, you know, why now? Why wasn't it 10 years ago? You know, that's, that's really, you know, when, when they started laying the groundwork for, um, the infrastructure and even some of the non-infrastructure, that's when education should have kicked in. They knew it was coming. So we're really playing catch up because things have been built. We've done a good job of encouraging people with cyclovias and, and cycles rides and things like that. So now the education is the last piece, and it, you know, in my opinion, it should have been the first piece. I would have to agree with you on that. Uh, Colin, you touched on something that's, um, you know, that's really frustrating for a lot of bicyclists, that uh, motorists will see you doing something that's perfectly legal and actually the safest thing to do, like riding in the traffic lane outside the door zone, for instance. Uh, and they will get upset about that because they think that you belong over in the gutter, uh, which mm-hmm. is 
you know, goes back to what they were taught as children. Uh, and the same thing with police officers. Uh, I know the LAPD uh, is perfectly fine with bicyclists riding two abreast on any substandard lane, which is almost every right-hand lane in the city of Los Angeles is considered substandard width. Um, they think it's perfectly okay to ride two abreast, and riding two abreast isn't even mentioned in the California Vehicle Code. But you can go to other cities, and you can be ticketed for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a recent case in Gardena where bicyclists were riding two abreast in the right-hand traffic lane. The left lane was clear. Drivers could easily go around them, but they ended up ticketing the riders for obstructing traffic, uh, even though by the legal definition of that they weren't. So how do you educate motorists, and how do you educate police? I mean, maybe that's two different questions. but um, It is. <laughs> Absolutely. How do you educate the rest of the world? Yeah. Well, I think that's why, um, you know, I think you, there's a lot to unpack in there, but, um, you know, as far as educating the driving public, I mean, it, it, there needs to be, it, it needs to be a lot more robust in, in driver training and the DMV materials and, I know that uh, the LA County Bike Coalition has been talking with CalBike about that for some time now and, and how we can move that forward at a state level because really that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the DMV. Um, I think that's that the motorist education part of it, I think that's why the Metro's Every Lane in the bike is a Bike Lane campaign was such a home run and why so many bicyclists who are in the know were so excited about that campaign because it finally basically said, Look, you know, in certain situations, I get to ride my bike down the middle of the lane, and you just need to go around, and it's legal to do that. Um, and so I, I would like to see more of that kind of campaign um, being conducted by agencies that have a countywide reach like Metro. Um, that was a pretty exciting campaign. And, I, you know, I have some ideas of, of things that I would like to do uh, in terms of reaching the motorists. It's, you know, it's it's... There's a lot of cost that goes that comes with that, though, because when you're talking about reaching the driving public, you're really talking about reaching a large portion of the population through some sort of mass means of communication, which is never really very cheap. Right. Um, I'd love to see the county Department of Health take that on as well. Yeah. Actually, Caltrans is revamping. This is Tana. Caltrans is revamping the the motor vehicle book handbook. And it's including a lot of bicycle, um, a lot of those things that you, you, you know, talked about already that cyclists are quite legal to do, but the cars don't need, you know, the car, the driver needs to know the positioning and the, you know, left turn lane, um, you know, the giving room for the car, the three foot rule and whatever. That's all coming out in the new DMV. I sit on that committee for the state. That is reviewing that DMV, and I'll be happy to share with you guys um, the draft if you're interested. Uh, that most definitely. I remember being at the California Bike Summit, and they were raving about the fact that finally cyclists have a seat finally. at that table. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's that's a huge game. Yeah. You know, we've had some failures and some misgivings, but that's a big one: is to be able to sit down at the same table with Caltrans and. I guess uh, the AAA and whoever else actually writes that manual and, and have some say in what happens out there because, as Colin mentioned, it has to happen at a statewide level if we're going to make any movement on this. And All said, we need now is for them to have enough questions on the test that will inspire yeah. the regular drivers to read that chapter more closely <laughs> so 
hopefully remember it as to what they should be doing and not doing. Well, just do me one favor and get them to stop saying in the driver's handbook that cars can park in the bike lanes. It's in there. <laughs> they they keep watering when, it down, when, but they keep Ted, it in Ted there. that's your one ask? <laughs> so, it's it one of those there, pet peeves you know, again. It's so fine by the city that you, know, that you are not supposed to park in the bike lane. You know, but that falls back in the engineers of the city. Good, good. Ted, um, you also, if I may, you also mentioned Gardena, and, and um, yeah, yeah the, the cyclists were ticketed for impeding traffic. I don't know. I don't know that it was so much that they were riding two abreast as that they were just basically taking the lane, and and the motorists were having to go around them. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that the those tickets were ultimately rescinded. Um, and our our planning and policy director Eric Bruins has been talking with the city. Uh, about revamping their, they also had some things in their municipal code that were contradictory to what the vehicle code says. So they're they're working on cleaning that up. And also, in terms of educating uh, police officers, at least in the Gardena example, we, uh, the LACBC invited um, the uh, Gardena Police Department to participate in uh, one of these classes that we're going to be conducting in Gardena next month. And in fact, we're expecting uh, three of their officers to. Uh, participate in that class and the the goal is is that you know police officers my experience has been police officers will listen to other police officers and so if we get if we get a few officers to take this class and they they understand what we're doing and it makes sense then they're in a position to then turn to their fellow officers and explain it to them and and my experience is that uh they tend to take that information uh, much more readily when it comes from a, a fellow officer as opposed to me. That um, That's very true, very true. And my experience with police, I work a lot with the uh, LAPD, and my experience with them is that it's not that police are biased against bikes or they don't like bicyclists. It's that they're not receiving proper education in the laws that uh, govern bicycling. Uh, they just don't know because they haven't been taught. So if you can get in there and teach them the proper interpretation of the laws, that can go a long way. Agreed. Let me ask, let me ask a question. I thought LADOT under the Bikeways Division produced a video that is for training officers, and they use that with LAPD. Can anybody else chime in on that? Well, I actually worked on part of that. Um, I helped edit that and make a few changes to it. Uh, that was done not by LA DOT, but by the LAPD themselves. Um, and you can view it online. All you have to do is Google LAPD training video, and it'll pop right up. Um, so the, the public can see that. It's a really a good basic education for officers in this. The problem is that it has to be taught at the um, the training center. When the police officers or rookie officers are being trained, they have to receive this. Uh, they have they did send it out requiring every officer to uh, to watch it and to respond to the questions in there. But you know that doesn't mean that everybody did that. You know, really paid attention to it or remembered it. Uh, after they saw it, you run into a lot of officers now, and if you ask them about it, they don't remember it at all. 
So it's something that has to be an ongoing program, and it ha- again, it has to be taught to the rookie officers uh, before they ever take the field. I think it's also worth noting that, you know, especially when we're talking about LAPD, that's a really big police department. And, you know, I mean, Ted, I think you, you've you had the same, a similar experience as I have, is that, you know, I, I have spoken to LAPD officers who do understand the vehicle code and how it relates to bicyclists, and they're they're completely clear on it. And I think even some of them sort of lament some of the, you know, things that happen with other officers who are not aware. So we are talking about, at least with LAPD, we're talking about a very big police force. And I think it's going to, it's going to take a while for all of this information to, to permeate through the department. And, and you're right. That is an ongoing, an ongoing effort. I think it's also really exciting. That's what makes the pocket guide that we did so exciting. Not only because it's good information for the cyclists, but you know, if you can if you can get the police department to sort of partner with you, if we can get them to partner with us on on distributing this information, it sort of you know presents an opportunity where all of a sudden they've got this information in front of them that perhaps some of them haven't read, <laughs> and they take a look at it. And so while I didn't necessarily hand a pocket guide to an officer and said, "Hey, you need to read this," it just sort of happens. Yeah, police officers generally don't like to be taught by civilians on pretty much anything. But I think that's a great idea, Colin. I think if you hand them a stack of those and encourage them to hand them out, at some point they're going to sit down and flip through it and read it. And Absolutely. and even if great it's idea. and then it's on their own, and you know they'll learn it, they'll remember it, they'll agree with it, they'll be more likely to hand it. I think officers are are happy to hand out information to people, especially to kids, um, if it's going to help them keep them safe. Yeah. And let me give you give you a heads up. The officers that are getting the training on the bicycle rules and the roads, those are your traffic officers. The officers traditionally who show up and do interaction at the schools are your uh, penal code, PC officers who mm-hmm. get this education. So any officer that you don't see step off a motorcycle that comes to the <laughs> school, hand them one of those because they have not a clue. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Colin, you had mentioned something that I know absolutely nothing about. You said that education is one of the five E's. What does that mean? Oh, well, the five E's, uh, basically, I don't know if it was the League of American Bicyclists who started it. But, San Francisco. Um, but it's it, essentially when you're, when you're, the League of American Bicyclists has a program called Bike Friendly Communities, and, and they use what are called the five E's to evaluate whether or not a community is bike friendly. And they're considered the five E's that, um, you know, you, any community needs to, uh, implement if it really wants to be bike friendly. And, and the E's are education, engineering, encouragement, enforcement, and evaluation. And there's also a very strong argument these days for a sixth E, which would be equity. Um, and the idea really is that, um, you know, education doesn't exist just on its own. You know, we can't just educate bicyclists uh, or just educate motorists or whatever. We also have to do the engineering. We have to provide the infrastructure to make it more viable. Um, we have to do the encouragement, which is what Julia and Cycle do such a fantastic job of, is encouraging people to ride uh, through fun rides and things like that. Um, and we, you know, LACBC does that as well. Um, enforcement, you know, making sure that the enforcement is fair and consistent and, and that 
that enforcement is accurate. Um, and then the evaluation portion, which is basically going back and, and evaluating all this, which is, you know, things like bike counts and, and also looking at crash data and identifying, you know, what are the problems and where are they happening and that sort of thing. All of these things have to work together. They don't work just on their own. And if you, if you do all of them together, then you really do have a community that is a better place for people to ride bikes. And that's when you're going to see the ridership increase and the injuries going down and the communities being healthier. And, you know, ultimately we're seeing a lot of cities that are attracting, you know, a, a whole professional class of people who want a certain quality of life and they're going to go where they see that happening. Here, here. <laughs> who was that? Okay, one last question here. Um, we've talked about how important bicycle education is, both for the bicyclists and for the general public and for the police. Uh, we want to get into schools. How do we pay for it? Uh, can I just uh, jump in here? Cynthia's on the line, too. Hi, Cynthia. Cynthia of Santa Monica spoke. Uh, Hi, Cynthia, Cynthia Rose, an LCI, and the is it president of Santa Monica spoke? Uh, I am the director of Santa Monica Spoke. It's an ambiguous title, but that's what we went with. Uh, I am, um, as uh, Mark and Beverly Hill said, the Grand Poobah over here in Santa Monica. But it's uh, as like anything else, this is all uh, a collaboration, and and really, it can't be done by one person. It's all it's all our group. I just happen to be the one that's at the forefront and the leader. Well, unfortunately, you're jumping in just as we seem to be wrapping up. But uh, what are your thoughts in general about uh, the importance of bicycle education for children or adults? Well, it's it's part of the big missing component of that we need to make our our communities and our and our um, of course all road users be able to know how to share the road appropriately. So without that education and and that information that is not necessarily intuitive because a lot of us uh, today didn't grow up growing their bi- riding their bikes or we were very young and in, in a different world than we have today where there's a lot more cars, a lot more traffic, and having bike education back into the schools is a focus that I know Jim is working on countywide and, and I'm kind of doing the same thing here in Santa Monica where we have Safe routes to school programs. We are doing after school, uh, care, um, education classes and, and they're pretty much at the beginning right now. They're kind of evolving into what they will be moving forward. So we've done a couple of test programs at the middle school and, uh, we have also done a, uh, a test, uh, uh, program at, at the after school care. So going forward into the fall, We'll have it in the after-school cares, and we'll also have it um, moving forward going into the schools, which are very excited, finally, about having that in the school level so that kids know what their, you know, what their rights and responsibilities are, how, they're, how can they ride on the street and be safe, or before they're old enough to ride on the street, where they should ride to be safe. So I guess I'm rambling a little bit, but because um, I don't know what Actually, you're talking about fine. so far. No, don't. Doesn't Santa Monica also have a bike training course by the beach? We have a bike campus, which is bike part campus. of 
yeah, an implementation for kind of pre predated the the bike plan, but it's really part of that whole uh, movement and the culture that is evolving in Santa Monica. And essentially, what that is is a uh, an area. Well, let me backtrack for a second. When we teach bike education classes, there's a course that we mark out uh, that has to be measured and marked every time that you teach a class. So when you move around to different places or when you go to schools, you find an area that's big enough, you mark it out, you cone it. You, you, we use tennis balls and, and um, little traffic cones and some bigger traffic cones. What the city of Santa Monica uh, finally did was allocate some space that can stay permanently marked. So we have an area down at the end of Ocean Park, which is actually the address I think is One Ocean Park, and that is uh, an area that's it's a long, narrow, used to be um, access kind of road between the beach and the the last road of of landmass of North America, I guess, <laughs> where you hit ocean uh, or sand. And that area is permanently marked with the uh, course that we use to teach bike education. So we don't have to mark it out every time. And the added benefit is that anyone can go down there anytime and practice their skills without the need to worry about traffic because cars can't go there. It's just okay, an, it's I've, an area I've just for, for people. I've looked for that many times as I've ridden by on the beach, and I've never been able to spot it. So it's at the end of Ocean Park. It's at the very end of Ocean Park between Perry's Cafe and the, where, where Ocean Park tees with Bernard okay. Ware. Wait. By Perry's Cafe, okay. It's so it's, it's in the narrow. parking lot there? It's not actually a parking lot. It, it, is, it is a space that's been reallocated. It used to be an access road between the two parking lots. Okay. So it's, it's a wide, but it's long and narrow. And it, it parallels the beach, Ted, so if you're looking for, like, a big chunk of a parking lot, it's really easy to miss because it's concrete, so it looks like the bike path, but it's not. Okay. Well, I will go take another look for it. So They also have, we have coming yeah. up, uh, is uh, we have QR codes and videos that go with each of the different road skills that they that you can practice on the course, but uh, soon we will have permanent... Um, uh, signage that will have the the um, the course will be marked out and the the the, the um, what is the word I'm looking for the uh, the skills areas each one will have like a little about that little skill area and it's a it'll be a permanent um, uh, signage and uh, it'll have a QR code that has videos so it'll also Very teach cool. you how to do it and then you can see the markings on the road. It's also painted like um, the. It's part of it is the course area, which is kind of like it has a figure eight, it has a chaos box, it has zigzags and rock dodge. For anybody who's taken the courses, you know what those are. But as I say, there'll be signage to tell you what those are. So they're they're avoidance weaves and um, hazard weaves, hazard. And then the other part of it is painted like a mini roadway. So there's a double yellow line. There's a bike lane. There's uh, parking stall markings so that you can practice riding and scanning so that you're looking back and uh, signaling to change lanes and so on and so forth. So you can practice kind of the road skills that you would learn in the obstacle port, 
you can practice those on a mock road. Very cool. It sounds like Santa Monica is way ahead of the other cities in the area working on this. Well, just allocating the space, as I think anybody on the phone or anybody here is going to um, agree with, is a huge part of just commitment and um, and just showing the community that they support what they're doing. There's one of the biggest complaints that we hear, and I think I probably would also get agreement with the other people that are here, is it's not just bicyclists learning how to ride on the road, it's motorists learning how to share the road. And seeing something like that is a big indication to the general population how much a city is embracing bicycling. It's pretty clear when you ride through Santa Monica these days that the city has embraced bicycling to a big degree. Uh, they've done so much in the last couple of years. But it's getting better. <laughs> Okay. If I can add to that, Ted, also yeah. that uh, the the campus that that Santa Monica has set up, which we all look to with envy, um, is is an example of the kind of things that they they do in a lot of European countries, where they actually create like a little mini city or a little mini roadway setup that's permanent. And when they teach bike safety, you know, we keep you know I haven't actually witnessed it directly myself, but. Um, you know, we keep hearing about bike safety training in a lot of these European cities that really support cycling, and they talk about how they have what they what they call traffic gardens, I think, and it's it's essentially you know a really elaborate version of what they have in Santa Monica, where they'll have like all these little mock intersections and things, and it's part of the again, it's part of the training that that the kids get from an early age, and so we're heading in the right direction, and and like I said, we're we're all. Envious of Santa Monica because they're they're leading the way on that one. Well, let's use that as a springboard to go back to that last question I was asking. Uh, we all seem to agree that we want bike education in the schools. Uh, we want to educate motorists and the general public about the rights of bicyclists and how to drive safely around us. Uh, and I think we would all love to have a training campus, a permanent training campus like that, like Santa Monica has. How do we pay for it? Uh, what's what's the next step? That, that's if great. Go ahead, Tana. Student on the on the pay for part as far as the um, the campus. That um, is simply uh, a commitment to allocating space, because as as I think we can all acknowledge that the paint that it costs to paint that is negligible. So it's about commitment and allocating the space. And I think some of the cities just need to look at areas that can be multipurposed, that you can paint for something like this and that can be used, utilized for other purposes at other times. Yeah, it, you know, as far as the education goes, we've had, you know, federal funding and state funding for Safe Routes to School programs for, for many years, and it's been great, although those sources are, are drying up and being reallocated, and we're <clears throat> now having to compete with things like highway beautification projects to get, you know, a, a really a small pittance of the budget to make it work. So actually one of the focuses on the conference was looking for alternative funding sources, and I think states such as Florida have really set a great example. You know, what it really comes down to is cities, but also states making an absolute commitment saying, we're, we're not going to just shuffle on more highways and more bridges and more sidewalks. We're going to make an absolute commitment to providing bicycle and pedestrian education out there and committing a certain part of their budget to that. 
regardless of what else happens. And I, I applaud, you know, cities like New York that have done that recently. Again, Florida, who's made it a statewide commitment. And that's something we'd really like to see here in California. We've set the bar high for safe routes funding. That's changing. It's now time to rethink that whole process a little bit. Plus, I think we need to, and I think many ways the educational systems are starting to step up to the plate. And they realize that this needs to be institutionalized in the schools. Like Cynthia says, that's only paint. It'd be really easy to set up. Um, that's a, 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 an example that would be wonderful for every elementary school to put forth. Um, for example, Marina Del Rey, 10 years ago, bought a fleet of bikes. We trained the teachers, and to this day, their oceanography class goes on a bicycle rather than a bus to ride to the ocean to study. The school district actually is looking for more ways that students can ride bicycles to, feel, to do field trips rather than take a bus. The, the time is now. It's getting everybody in line, and I think the school, the school districts will step up to the plate more than they ever have before to be, a, be an active partner in this. I think it's catching that momentum school bus, just like you're saying. It's like the time is now, and a lot of the school districts and, and different programs are all of a sudden becoming cluing into this, and this is the time as advocates and as, and as instructors and, and leaders it's our time to, if we can just have enough of us out there, which I think that number is growing, is really capitalize on that and provide that information. I think there's also a strong argument to be made just from the um, safety perspective. There's a lot of money spent on information to uh, make the roadways safer uh, for road users. And, and when we when we say that, most people think that it's, you know, it's messaging that's related to driving. And what's, you know, what's missing here is that there's, there's a large percentage of uh, crashes and injuries and deaths that involve bicyclists and pedestrians. I think in the state of California, pedestrians and bicyclists combined are about 25% of the fatalities, if I remember correctly. And yet the amount of money that's being spent uh, in terms of safety messaging to try to address that is only like 1%. So, exactly. again, it goes to the same thing that Cynthia was saying. It's a matter of allocating the resources according to the need and, and the situation. And, and so there's a there's a big inequity there uh, in that regard, and that's a strong argument that gets made a lot. Um, and it's a matter of getting the politicians' attention and, and having them understand that. And I do think the time is ripe for now. There's, this, is, this is in their consciousness. They're seeing the benefits. They're seeing, you see, I think, we're seeing more and more politicians that want to align themselves in, in such a way that they're talking about sustainability and walking and biking and healthy. Now is the time to tap them and make them true to their word, which is much of what LACBC's done with their interviewing and, and, uh, and vetting or, or uh, uh, the process that we're using with, for um, for. Uh, uh, questioning candidates, Ted, you've been involved with that, and, and the candidate questionnaires, and knowing what their their focuses are before they get elected, and then holding them to those once they are elected. You know, that's the hard part is holding their feet to the fire. No that's doubt. The more we have ahead of time, the more we can say, "Hey, 
This is what you said. Where is it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I can't speak for anybody else, but I have learned a lot tonight. Um, is there anything anyone else would like to add uh, before we finish up? I'll put this out there since we're talking about allocating funds and space and um, getting the attention of politicians. Um, <clears throat> recently, I had some conversations uh, with state parks and with mountain biking group out here, Corba, as well as Mark Ridley Thomas's um, supervisor um, committee or, or his office about finding a space where we can have just a simple pump track, which is a small area of, of dirt that kids can ride their BMX bikes on without actually pedaling. It's some hills, some berms, and things like that. And what started off as a simple conversation turned into something much larger, and we're looking at a much larger space um, that's got a lot of potential to it that they're willing to put up and allow us to use for this purpose. It'll include a bike campus so we can teach um, on-pavement training as well as letting the kids just have a lot of fun on dirt. That's sort of like an intro to mountain biking course out there. But in addition to that, word just came through just a couple days ago that the county actually is taking a big interest in this. And I think they're starting to realize that small bike parks are a lot less expensive and invasive than a skate park, and they want to catch sort of the wave on it. And so they're looking to identify a couple more spaces where they can build a bike park um, that's mostly off-road. Because um, in the city of LA, you can't ride off-road um, legally. So they're looking at trying to find spaces where they can actually capitalize on this bike movement, get kids more active in their neighborhoods, uh, without having to build some major infrastructure setting. So there's a lot of stuff coming. You know, the page is starting to turn a little bit, so as we've all said, we need to keep that momentum rolling. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. This this is the part where we ask our listeners to join LACBC and help us keep that momentum moving. <laughs> nice job, Cynthia. I'll, I'll Yay, Cynthia. You later, Cynthia. <laughs> I'd also like to add that... Um, I'd also like to add that uh, um, at the state level here in California, because we were hearing about this when we were in Sacramento last week, those of us who were there, you know, the, the, the way that the federal budget is set up for funding bike projects changed um, fairly recently. And part of that uh, involves each state kind of deciding for itself how it's going to allocate funds. And so... I don't have all the details. I'm sorry I don't know the bill number. I feel a little unprepared in that regard. But um, at the state level, this is in Sacramento, they are going to be voting on uh, important safe routes to school-related legislation in in the coming month or so. And um, so what I would say is uh, look up the information. Probably Safe Routes to School National Partnership is your best bet uh, for getting all the details uh, but look that up, and then what's really important is that those, for all those listeners out there who are, uh, who live in California, you need to contact your local state representative, um, the, the person who represents you in Sacramento, uh, and tell them that you want them to support this kind of legislation and that you want them to support the funding for, for programs like Safe Routes to School. We're fortunate in California that Safe Routes to School is, California's been a leader in a lot of ways in that, um, but but it could go away. And so people, you know, the the politicians need to hear from the community about this. Yeah, and for years, and California was the first state to do this, we had de- we had dedicated funding since 1985 um, for Safe Routes to School projects. And only recently has it been 
twisted around for a variety of reasons we don't need to necessarily go into here, but it's it's now either the state has an option of keeping that funding separate or lumping it in with other transportation um, segments, which the money will still be there, but as I mentioned earlier, we'll now be competing for highway beautification projects versus a safe routes program. So we really want that to be dedicated funding and, and set aside for a lot longer than just the next year or two. If I can add to that a little bit, it's yes. the California Bike Coalition uh, is is actually working, is supporting the Safe Routes to School dedicated funding, and uh, the bill that you're, I, I also don't have right in front of me, Colin, shamefully, as a CalBike uh, board member, but um, if you go to calbike.org, all this information that we're talking about should be listed there, and how you can contact your representatives, and know that that uh, just as LACBC has local chapters that work beneath the umbrella of the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition, CalBike is also doing the same thing for local advocates at, from the state level. So they are providing an umbrella and kind of supporting and moving forward bills and and uh, funding sources that, that support us locally as much as in the Safe Routes to School stuff and, and all the other stuff. So. Go to calbike.org, and I'm sure you can find that information uh, that that uh, filters up the same way it filters down. And shameless plug, when you become a member of the L.A. County Bicycle Coalition, you also become a member of CalBike. That is true. So if you come, become a member of any local chapter of LACBC, you also become a member of the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition supporting countywide changes because nothing happens in a bubble, and we all work it's synergy and together. And again, just like uh, Colin said, that also become a member of CalBike, supporting so stuff that is on the, the county level. I mean, and uh, sorry, the state level. Mm-hmm. So if you support bicycle education, you should join the LACBC uh, <coughs> and or you should join Cycle because both organizations are working really hard to educate the public. Um, Cycle. Cycle is actually not a membership organization any longer, Ted. No. I did not know this either. We don't no. charge anything for any of our events. Um, we we have we're not membership based, but people are always free to sign up to receive information and safety tips and news. Um, but we're not member based. Okay. Well, thank you for the clarification on that. Uh, so and Jim, what about walking rollers? Cycle. How can they support you? Uh, we are we gladly accept donations of all sizes. Um, we are constantly looking for funding, uh, so they can go to our website at walkinrollers.org and feel free to make a donation online. And Tana, what about uh, your program? If anybody's interested in starting a PE program in the middle school or high school, especially high school, and we can help them get a bike fleet and get all the equipment and training. Um, in the training, I use LCIs and also um, USA Cycling Coaches when we get to the racing part because that's the way we're going to keep the kids hooked into it. So give me a call, and I'll help any school get started. Like I'm doing in Denver, by the way. You said you were from Colorado? Yeah. I'm doing high schools in Denver right now. It's really awesome. Very cool. But you said give them a call, so you better give the phone number. Oh, 818-292-0779. Thank you. Why don't you repeat that? 818-292-0779, or you can put an inquiry through my website, which is 
Sports, comma, Inc., or just Yes Sports. And okay. um, that's our future. Hope you provide. Thanks. Very good. Well, I think on that note, that's the perfect uh, ending spot for us. I want to thank you all. This has been a really informative uh, talk. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Today's bike talk show was inspired by creating more bikeness in LA. <laughs> <laughs>